For the week of August 8th, 2017, this is the Washington State Indivisible Podcast. I'm your host. My name is Stephen Cox. Hello. On the show this week, we talk with National Indivisible's Organizing Director Isaac Bloom about the August recess and about what is happening beyond that. And then we chat with Indivisible Bellingham's Kelly Krieger about the event they are holding this weekend called Indivisible Rising. All that plus our weekly dose of good news and our call to action. Isaac Bloom is the organizing director for the Indivisible Project in Washington, D.C., and we are very happy to have him back on the show. Welcome back to the podcast, Isaac. Uh, thanks so much, Stephen. Glad to be here. Yes. So there is a ton that has happened since we last spoke, uh, but I think that clearly one of the very biggest victories was the defeat of Trump Care in Congress. And I'd love for you to just talk briefly about how you see Indivisible's role in that win. Yeah, for sure. So I think there are a bunch of pieces that we kind of contributed to that to that victory. I think the first thing is that um, we, as a national organization, put pressure on every single member of Congress all over the country. Um, And so, you know, that made a difference in the House in greatly changing the legislation they were attempting to pass and forcing them to essentially pass it under cover of darkness. Um, And it also meant that the Senate was frightened uh, by the time they took it up already. Um, and it meant that uh, the pressure from blue state folks like uh, like your listeners out there in Washington really made it so that the, the Democratic Party um, really kind of grew a spine uh, in the Senate. And um, and, you know, it, it meant that they were willing to push themselves and actually do um, do the work to deny consent um, uh, or withhold consent on everything uh, and really just stop the Senate until uh, these, you know, these atrocious bill after bill after bill that they kept coming back with on Trump care um, finally died. And then all the work that the folks in the red states did to, to really keep the pressure on those, those senators, it meant that every single one of them had to reckon with the amount of pressure they were getting from folks at home in their districts and really reckon with the fact that they were trying to pass a bill that was dramatically unpopular um, and that was going to really deeply harm people that were they were supposedly being representatives for. And so I, I think ultimately it was it was sort of representative democracy at its best. It was the people making clear their their voice and their their feelings about a given piece of legislation and how it impact their lives. And the representatives were forced to to listen to those people and and thusly vote the appropriate way. And I mean, just the last point here is that we really set up um, the uh, the Republican senators who voted against it, um, you know, Collins, Murkowski, and eventually John McCain. We set those folks up for a hero opportunity. Um, the, all the work of, of the folks in those states uh, can't be discounted in, in, in having those, those senators vote the right way. Yeah. We were pushing against the wall everywhere. We didn't know that where the cracks would appear. But we knew that they would because of the amount of pressure we were putting against the entire wall. And so that setting up that hero opportunity for those three those three senators to do what they did is is really work that can be directly accounted for by um, by the national pressure of individual groups. Yeah. Yeah. It was just an onslaught of calls. And I spoke to people uh, across the country about this, uh, of course, additionally talking to people here in the state. And uh, yeah, it was just the pressure was relentless. And I I think it's definitely uh, an unqualified win for Indivisible. So moving on 
to what's going to be continued pressure. Let's talk about town halls. Um, (laughs) So uh, the Indivisible Guide just released the August recess guide called August in Action. And to Mm -hmm. say it is comprehensive is kind of an understatement. Uh, There are toolkits in there for health care, for immigration, the environment, tax reform, and the budget. Uh, We could Mm -hmm. easily spend the whole show going over each of those in detail. But uh, I just want, uh, first of all, let listeners know that they can check all those things out at indivisibleguide.com. But I want to get your specific take on a couple of things. First, um, let's talk about town halls. Uh, Senator Mm -hmm. Maria Cantwell is going to be holding one in Wenatchee on August 12th. A number Mm -hmm. of uh, representatives in the state will also be holding town halls in August. One of the things the guide stresses is holding your member of Congress accountable for his or her vote on Trump care. Talk about the importance Mm -hmm. of doing that. Certainly. Um, I I think there are uh, there are kind of two different kinds of organizing, right? There's both pressure and there's persuasion. And pressure is the is a lot of the organizing that we do, where we are pushing our representatives to do the right thing, and there's an implied or else. Uh, do the right thing, or we're going to make sure that people remember in November. Mm-hmm. Um, and that that's an important part of doing this kind of work. The other side of that is persuasion, where you're creating, again, we kind of talked earlier about those hero opportunities, where you're lauding your representatives for doing the right thing and asking them to continue doing the right thing based on the feedback they're getting from you and the, and the constituents that you're organizing. Yeah. And so these town halls are opportunities to apply whichever one of those is appropriate based on the vote that that, that representative took, whether it's in the Senate or in the House, uh, on Trump care. Um, and kind of amazingly, this is one of the first issues that we've seen in the modern era where uh, the Republican Party or either party actually had all of their members take a vote that, you know, an up or down vote on something that um, they did not successfully pass. So not only do the Republicans not actually have a bill to show for it, but they also took votes that they're going to have to be held accountable to. Um, and it's the same. It was sort of a double jeopardy moment for them. And I think a lot it of them really knew was. It. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, that's exactly right. And so that, that what that means is that these town halls are opportunities to really reinforce the lessons that they need to take away from from this entire campaign, which is that you absolutely have to take into account um, your constituents and you have to take into account the fact that they are not all Trump voters and they are not all people who support this agenda. And so right. you have to work with Democrats. You have to actually try and pass bipartisan legislation that isn't going to hurt people. Shocking, isn't it? (laughs) Right. (laughs) It seems really basic, but you know, it's, 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 it's important to, to force our representatives to, to come back to a world in which they're not trying to appease right wing talk radio, but instead are actually thinking about all of their constituents. Um, yes. I, I think this is a big opportunity for that. And it does seem very basic, but there it is. Uh, I'd also like to talk briefly about what is probably next on the GOP docket, which is the upcoming fight on tax reform, uh, mm-hmm. which which mm-hmm. many people, as as well as the Indivisible Guide, are saying is just is shorthand for the GOP taking away things like Medicaid and Medicare while giving tax cuts to the super wealthy, which, hey, it sounds an awful lot like Trump care. Um, yeah. <laughs> in any event, what is broadly the game plan for pushing back here if and when that legislation is introduced? Yeah, it's, um, it's a great question. And I think one thing, um, one thing that we will do kind of right from the start is very much what we did around Trump care, which is to take the framing away from them. Um, the Republican Party very much uh, and the far right very much wants this to be about nobody wants to take 
pay taxes. This is about tax breaks for the, the, the common man. And we have to make absolutely clear that this is not tax reform. This is tax breaks for the rich. Right. Um, and and that, uh, which you just noted, but it's so clearly their intention to cut corporate taxes, to cut taxes for the rich, uh, and to basically make the 1% richer um, in as many different ways as possible on the back of the, you know, the poor and working classes. Yeah. Uh, and so, uh, you know, we will we'll have a whole set of tactics around uh, working to fight this. And, you know, a lot of it won't be anything new that's crazy. It'll be stuff that uh, that indivisible groups have done before and now have clear proof that it works. Right. So it's more phone calls and confronting your member of Congress at town halls and the like, right? Exactly. And and national days of action or, or statewide days of action, all, right. all of those things that we've seen work so far, well, you know, we'll sort of bust out the greatest hits. All of that said, <laughs> we, um, you know, we're, we're working on a whole set of new tools that we'll, we'll roll out to, to kind of continue to build uh, folks' skills. So you may recall that we did a sort of blue state to red state calling program for um, a couple days around Trump care there at the end. Yeah. We're going to continue to look at, at ways to do that kind of stuff. Um, and, you know, we'll, we'll sort of continue to expand the, the sort of tactics that we use. But again, the biggest fight right at the beginning is going to be to just change the framing on this. It's not tax reform. It's tax cuts for the rich. Right. So that'll be the, sort of the first first point of order. So the way that we language it, I think, is very important. I've, I've been yeah. hearing the word language used as a verb more and more lately, so I thought I'd jump in on that and see how it worked. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It, yeah, feels, yeah. Yeah, it feels all right. Um, yeah. So, And then I do want to touch on something that is already having an enormous impact on families here in the state and across the country, and that's immigration. Uh, mm-hmm. The site lists a number of action steps that people can take on behalf of immigration rights. Uh, but maybe we could just outline a couple that are of most immediate importance. For example, the site talks about how stopping Trump's Muslim ban isn't just going to be up to the Supreme Court. Congress mm-hmm. could end it, too, with some pressure, right? Yep, that's absolutely right. I, just first things first, I actually want to highlight one of the first and biggest things that folks can do is to join uh, United We Dream uh, in their National Day of Action on August 15th. Uh, Indivisible is partnered with them, yeah? That's exactly right. Okay, so that's August 15th. All right. Yep, yep. And so there, that's the, the fifth anniversary of uh, the DACA uh, bill, and um, that's the Deferred Action for Childhood Arrivals, the, the bill that offers right. relief from deportation to immigrant kids who came to the U.S. as children. Um, it, it's something that, you know, there is deep fear uh, amongst uh, immigrant communities that um, the, the Trump administration is going to to attack. And so it's a it's an opportunity for uh, indivisible groups to kind of stand arm in arm with uh, other organizations who who work on immigration full time. And I, I think that kind of show of solidarity and us showing up for their events is an incredibly important part uh, of our work to be an inclusive movement and to be a movement that really kind of works on issues that are uh, beyond just, you know, sort of the everyday, you know, tax and budget type stuff, but are that are continuing to work on issues that impacts uh, people in all communities. Yeah, absolutely. And just to track back to about the earlier point, uh, the Supreme Court is not the only entity that could potentially end Trump's Muslim ban. It could also be done by putting pressure on Congress. So uh, talk about that a little bit. Yeah, that's right. So um, the the SOLVE Act in the House, it's H.R. 1503. 
uh, is a bill to rescind the Muslim ban and to prohibit any funding for enforcement of the Muslim ban. Um, in the Senate, it's uh, Senate Bill 608, uh, which would rescind the Muslim ban, um, and Senate Bill 549, which would uh, withhold funding for the Muslim ban. So there is congressional action that folks can take, for sure, and it is um, a, there are a set of questions actually on the website that folks can uh, can ask during town halls around it. Absolutely. And I again, I, I just I'm a broken record on this. I encourage people to go <laughs> back through to the site and, and really check this out in detail, because like I say, I mean, there's just a ton of information there. And mm-hmm. I, I'm imagining that it could probably seem a little overwhelming to people. And so do you recommend that individuals or groups maybe just focus on one or two issues that are most important to them and their district? Yeah, I actually think that that's a really great way to think about it. Um, although one other way, y- 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 there's sort of two ways you can go about it. Um, the first is to just as, as a, as an organization for each individual group to really just pick one or two issues that they really want to focus on, um, and to have all of their members ready to ask those specific questions during a town hall. You know, the, the likelihood is in any given town hall, not more than one or two of your members are going to get picked to ask questions in any case. And so, you know, you, you have a higher likelihood of getting those questions answered if a whole bunch of people are ready with the same set of questions. So that really is one way to go about it. And if you're really focused on one particular issue, that that can go a long way. That that said, you know, a number of the organizations have a number of different uh, a number of different issues that they care a lot about. And if that's the case, then members can go in with, you know, one or two questions on any of the issues that we have in the in the guide ready to ready to go. And you can just sort of see who who gets called and, and let it be a little bit of luck of the draw. Right. Um, but I, you know, it, it, to, to some extent, one of the joys of the indivisible guide is that it's sort of, um, it allows folks to really kind of mix and match and kind of innovate based on what's in there. So, you know, we encourage you to kind of do what your group feels most led to do. Yeah. Perfect. All right. Um, just a couple of listener questions um, mm-hmm. that we have gotten. And these are issues that are somewhat related to what's going on here in Washington state. Sarah Koenigsberg, uh, who's out in Walla Walla, asks, for those of us who live in deeply red rural counties, how can we begin to create dialogue? We will never win a battle of muscle here. Our only chance is, cre- is connecting neighbor to neighbor on issues and stories and changing preconceptions one by one. So what does indivisible advice people like Sarah to do in rural areas where they might feel outnumbered? Yeah, oh, totally. I, and I love you for asking that question. Um, one, I love that you're out there. Uh, I think it's important that uh, folks understand that, um, you know, particularly in the kind of deep blue districts, the folks in the deep ruby red districts are carrying the burden of both trying to figure out how to how to make a dent um, and how to move uh, representatives who are obdurate to our message in a lot mm-hmm. of ways, but also you know, in a lot of cases, it can be really scary uh, to be a progressive in places like that. Um, and so I, I want to first just give uh, a huge thank you to to folks who are out there doing that work. The second piece is um, we're going to put out a uh, toolkit uh, or a particular tactic in uh, some of our election materials later on this year uh, called uh, it's a it's around a particular tactic called deep listening uh, or deep canvassing. Um, and folks may or may not have heard about this. It, it's a method of going out and knocking on doors and talking to folks about issues that are deeply, deeply divisive, um, but having those conversations in a personal way. Um, and so I, I first did this on uh, on an abortion uh, abortion rights issue um, in uh, in Los Angeles and went out and 
proactively was knocking on doors of people who who were pro-life and who disagreed with us wow. on um, on abortion rights. And the goal is to go out and have those conversations like a real human being. It's not a like two minute script and you're done. It's a go out and and actually try and connect with the person and talk to them about their concerns and talk about why you feel one way and, and see why they feel that the way they well, how do. do. How, did those, how did those conversations go for you since you went out and didn't? It's amazing. I mean, I have to say, uh, like, they're very slow. <laughs> you can't have a lot of them. Right. Uh, you know, I think I, I think I talked to three people uh, during the course of the three hours or two hours that I was out canvassing. Um, but those three people, we had a sort of one to five scale. And those people at the start of those conversations were like a one or a two and I moved each of them at least two notches uh, more towards abortion rights in the course of a 20 or 30 minute conversation with each of them. And the whole point is to connect with them personally, to be able to connect them to your personal story and to be able to connect them to the personal stories of people they know. So in many cases, these folks actually had, you know, they knew somebody who had had an abortion or had really struggled because they had not. Um, and that's a common story. And it's the same around healthcare, and it's the same around immigration. It's the same around many of the issues that we work on. Whether somebody knows an immigrant today is immaterial, but they almost certainly have somebody in their family who was an immigrant at some point. Was your, you know, one of your parents or your grandparents or people back, uh, back along the ways? You know, my family originally comes from um, the sort of eastern parts of Europe that, and they were fleeing uh, the pogroms. And I'm a, you know, I think I'm a fifth generation American, but if I go back and think about why did my people come here, it wasn't because they were like tech workers. It was because they were fleeing yeah, persecution. Exactly. And that kind of story is incredibly common. So that's where you find common ground. Exactly. And so having these deep listening conversations with folks can be incredibly powerful. It is very slow. It's tough to do. Um, but it it is proven to work over time and to really actually change the minds. Uh, and so... That's a tactic that we're going to be putting out for folks, particularly in those deep red districts, to really be able to go out and talk to their neighbors um, and to have some, you know, some real clear guidance on how to do that and to actually use that in some of their work. And that will be available on IndivisibleGuide.com at some point. Yes. Okay, yes, terrific. for sure. And it's um, we're hoping to put out a bunch of these materials sort of in late fall, uh, early winter for, uh, for some of our electoral work. So great. Okay. Well, that'll be just in time for November. Uh, yep. so yep. Ann Fraser and Allison Howes would like to know more about the 435 strategy that individual sure. is developing. This is an electoral strategy. Can you tell us a little mm-hmm. bit about it? Heavens, Betsy, can I? Um, so <laughs> the 435 strategy is actually one of the things that I'm most excited about. And it's really, frankly, part of the reason that I'm, I was excited to work here. So folks may recall that in, um, in 2006, uh, Howard Dean was running the the DCC, and um, they had what they called the 50-state strategy. Mm-hmm. Uh, and what that was was that the um, the DCCC put out um, put energy and resources behind the parties in every single state across America. And I would just and stop and say that the DCC stands for the Democratic Campaign Committee. The Democratic <laughs> Dem- it stands for the Democratic Congressional Campaign Committee. There, I got there it all out. Okay, no, yeah. that was good. Thank you. Um, sorry, sorry for the jargon there. But, no worries, man. Um, by doing that, by doing that work and actually putting that, um, uh, putting those resources into all fifty states, what they did was they forced the Republican Party to uh, expend resources in every single race that they wanted to win in, and it, it meant that if they really had targeted races that they were really focused on, they were sort of leaving their eye off the ball in places where 
where, you know, the, the races maybe normally weren't contested. Right. And, and if you remember, what actually happened then was that the Democrats took the House. And so, so in basketball terms, it's a full court press, right? That's exactly that's exactly right. And so, one of the things that's really cool about Indivisible is, as you may recall, we have groups in every single congressional district across America. Yep. It's not just all fifty states; it's every single district. And so, our goal is to provide tools and um, trainings and and toolkits for folks to be able to do work on the elections in a way that allows them to make a real impact and to actually make races that otherwise might not even, you know, you might not even get a candidate um, to actually make it so that there's a, a climate so that folks are willing to run, they're excited to run, and they know that minimally there will be at least some kind of backing behind them up and down the ballot. Um, this is, so we're not just talking about national races or, or you know, for House or Senate. We, we are definitely encouraging folks to, to go down ballot as well. And so to that end, we'll be providing uh, content on voter registration um, on a national level. So there are a lot of rules and regulations about how folks do with um, do voter registration with paper in, in the states. But there is a national voter registration form um, that folks can use that, that doesn't require all the sort of rigmarole um, and allows folks to sort of intake information digitally. Um, we'll be providing uh, tools for folks to be able to make phone calls, to be able to do targeted canvassing, and and in general, just to be able to do bird dog. Uh, folks may not know what bird dogging is. To show yes, up at events. Yes, please tell us. Yeah. <laughs> Sorry. Uh, so to be able to show up at events that candidates are showing up to and asking them questions, much like we do currently at town halls, uh, or showing up to events that folks are are peering at, you know, during this August recess event. We'll be putting out uh, content on how to do fundraising. So if indivisible groups uh, want to raise money for, for candidates, um, there's the possibility for them to do that. There's a whole set of, of just kind of tools and, uh, and sort of tactics that we'll put out for folks that will allow them to really impact the races everywhere. And in doing so, we think that the rising tide can, can kind of lift all boats. And lastly, because we'll be doing this work and because we're indivisible and we are explicitly progressive, our hope and intention is that that actually drives the national conversation to a more progressive place and that candidates are sort of coming into the conversation right off the bat thinking, oh, gosh, I better be doing the right thing so that I'm making sure those indivisible folks are happy uh, because, you know, well, let me ask you generally, since you brought that up, do you get a sense that uh, indivisible in particular, and I guess grassroots groups generally are starting to, say, push the Democrats a little more to the progressive left? I absolutely think so. There is no chance that the uh, the party would have done the work to withhold consent and to shut down the Senate in the way that they did without the pressure from uh, Indivisible and other grassroots organizations out there. Yeah. Um, and I think, I think that, you know, we, um, we just put out a, a joint statement with a number of other organizations along with D, uh, Democracy for America and, and, and um, Planned Parenthood and, uh, and NARAL and a number of other folks um, condemning the, uh, the recent statements uh, from, the, from the Democrats on um, that, you know, we, we shouldn't use uh, abortion as a, uh, a litmus test. Um, and, you know, we very much come down on the side of like choice is a progressive value and it's not something the democratic party needs to be running away from. Um, and I, I think we're going to continue to, to, to come down on the side of, uh, progressive values. Um, and I think you will see that play out with, um, with candidates across the country.
Well, Isaac Bloom, thank you so much for all the work that you're doing. And uh, this is things are getting really exciting. So uh, stay tuned and we'll uh, we'll we'll talk to you shortly, man. Thank you so much. Uh, Absolutely. And uh, anytime, Stefan, I'm always happy to talk to you. Time now for this week's call to action. But first, as we do, let's have our dose of good news. And, uh, well, I I wanted to say that our dose of good news is that Trump is on vacation for 17 days. But uh, uh, turns out he can still put us all in global peril from Bedminster. Uh, More on that in a bit. For some unqualified good news, let us turn to, and this item is very much at the expense of someone else, but I think you'll be okay with it when I tell you that that someone else is Arizona Sheriff Joe Arpaio. You know, the guy who exceeded the bounds of his office by racially profiling Latinos, ensuring that Latinos are nine times more likely in Maricopa County to be pulled over, doling out disproportionate punishment for Latino prisoners, and just so much more. Well, Sheriff Joe, as he is known, was just convicted of criminal contempt by a federal judge, which carries a potential sentence of six months in jail. Come on, do the right thing, judge. Also, remember a week or so back when Trump was threatening to sabotage the health insurance markets by withholding cost-sharing reduction payments, something that, uh, because of the way that Obamacare made its way through, is a power that is still in the hands of the executive. Well, it turns out that not only can states fight back against that, but a U.S. appeals court ruled that states' attorneys general can also defend subsidy payments to insurance companies under the Obamacare health care law so that markets don't, you know, collapse and potentially leave millions of people with unaffordable premiums because our president is throwing a tantrum. And speaking of which, it is time for this week's call to action. And this is an important one. And I, I know I say they're all important, but this this one is really it's potentially life or death. I am sure that many of you, as I did, reacted in horror when you saw the president, who, I reiterate, is supposed to be on vacation, going off in a press conference about how he was going to rain down fire and fury on North Korea over their missile threats. Now, in game theory, this kind of exchange is meant to be conducted between two parties who are, quote, rational actors. But uh, I think we can all agree that that's not where we're at right now. Well, leave it to the wonderful Pramila Jayapal to tweet out on Tuesday about a House bill first proposed by California Representative Ted Lieu back in January that would strip Trump of the so-called nuclear football. That's the thing that allows him to call a preemptive nuclear strike without approval of Congress. Now, I really strongly believe is a time for us to call our representatives and tell them that we would like them to get behind H.R. 669, which would restrict the use of first strike nuclear weapons by the executive. If you have a Republican representative, especially if you have a Republican representative, call him or her to say that now is the time to put the safety of the residents of their district, their country, the planet, above their loyalty to party, and to finally speak out against the reckless actions of this president. In lots of ways, it's past time. But ask them to do it now. This is really when we want our representatives to, you know, represent us. So call your rep and ask him or her to support H.R. 669. And that is this week's call to action. (laughs) 
Joining me now is Kelly Krieger of Bellingham Indivisible to talk about a special event that they have coming up on August 13th called Indivisible Rising. Uh, Kelly Krieger, welcome. Thank you. So tell us a little bit about Indivisible Rising. It's a celebration of the Indivisible movement, but it's it's also meant to be a celebration of the larger activist community in Bellingham, right? Yes, it is. It's, uh, we have a lot of local activist groups in Bellingham. They're advocacy, they're environmental, they're educational their activist groups, their faith-based groups. And we've invited all those groups to our to table at our event in hopes to connect our community with more ways for them to get involved. Yeah, it's an opportunity for people from a number of different groups in the community to, to meet, interact, ideally network. Um, who are some of the groups that are going to be taking part besides Indivisible? Um, Washington Conservation Voters will have a table. We have the Bellingham Friends Meeting, which is our Quaker group. We have the Sierra Club. We've got Whatcom and Daunted and Whatcom Coffee Party. We've got Homes Now, which is a really breakthrough group dealing with uh, making homes for the homeless. Just a few. It sounds like you've got a really robust community of activists. So it seems like this might actually be an opportunity for people to get together and maybe even find a shared agenda, right? I think that's true. And I think there's a lot of people who have been working really hard over the past seven months. And I think a lot of people are looking for a new way to be involved. We're feeling like we've written a lot of postcards, we've made a lot of phone mm. calls, and we really want to do something substantial. And for me, that really means focusing on my community. You have chosen small victories as a theme, and I'm curious as to why you chose that. Are you encouraging people to look at things incrementally? Not exactly. We are encouraging people to stay positive and to turn the focus every now and then to the small victories that we've had, the small successes that we've had. Well, they may seem engulfed by the huge losses, but they're important and they're steps that we can take. So we are planning at the event, we're planning a board where people can post their victories and we'll be reading those out from time to time. What do you see as some recent small victories, maybe for the activist community in Bellingham, say? Well, two that I can think of very recently, I really think on a national level, the health care defeat was yeah. was a victory, and, and maybe not such a small victory. Right. I mean, I know in some ways it kind of puts us back to square one, but it was I consider that a victory. And then locally, um, the 45th district candidate, Monica Dinger, for state Senate, just got through the primary. She did, and it's, uh, it's very exciting. Yes. And, yeah, it's obviously a story with national implications. We were very happy to have her here on this show uh, a couple of months ago. And, yeah, I think everybody on the Democratic side of things very excited to see that she got well over 50 percent of the vote. So that's exciting. Absolutely. And just to have her in that primary. And I know a lot of us in my group and a lot of us here locally in Bellingham did doorbelling and phone banking for her. So it was a great way to pull us all into all together. It isn't just a Seattle race. That was a state race for us all. Yeah. Tell us a little bit about what's scheduled for the day in Divisible Rising. You have some interesting activities lined up. We do. Absolutely. We've got um, the usual. We have a few really great speakers, both of who are local. We've got Jill McIntyre from the Climate Reality Project at Western, and she will be possibly talking about um, the Al Gore's Equal Truth to Power. We've also got Alan McConkie from Fair Vote Washington, because I know a lot of people are very interested in voting rights and voting privileges and, and how we can affect the votes through gerrymandering and stuff. So I believe he'll be addressing that. We've got a couple of great local bands lined up. And in addition, we want to have this very, very family-friendly. So we also have an art table where children will be preparing artwork that will later be turned into 
metal fabricating, and we'll have those as a public installation planned for fall of 2018. Wow. So where will that be installed when it's finished? We're looking at several different locations in Bellingham, which I really can't disclose right now, (laughs) but we're working closely with the city to get the permitting and if you can imagine, there's quite a process. I'm to sure. Go through. Yeah, yeah, but yeah. it's looking very favorable to get that installed. That's really exciting. Wow, and that's exciting, and something that will be a permanent marker to the event that you've held. So that's great. Uh, so tell us when and where the event is going to be. The event is at Maritime Heritage Park on the lower end of Holly Street on August 13th, which is a Sunday, and it's all afternoon. It's it's uh, 12 to 4. Perfect. And uh, where can people learn more if they're interested in finding out a little bit more about the event itself? The best way to do that is to go to the Facebook page and just search for Indivisible Rising, a celebration of community activism, and join that Facebook page. That's where I am keeping everybody up to date and in the loop. If groups want to join and want to table at the event, they can also contact me through that page. Terrific. Well, Kelly Krieger, thank you for all the work that you're doing, and uh, best of luck with the event. Thank you. Thank you so much. And that will do it for this week's show. If you would like to learn more about the show, head over to indivisiblepodcast.org. You can find information on everything we talk about on every show. You will find a searchable back catalog of shows, all of that and more. Oh, and we have a new email address, which is indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Again, it's indivisiblepodcast at gmail.com. Hit me up. I, I really, really love hearing from you guys. The Washington State Indivisible Podcast is a production of Get Creative, Inc. Thank you again to Isaac Bloom, and thanks to Helen Kala for her help with that. And thanks again to Kelly Krieger. And thanks as always to you for listening, and we'll see you guys next time. Bye. <laughs>